0: The New Hampshire primary is history, but is the GOP primary over? It depends on who you ask. And we'll ask Scott Jennings next on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings.
1: Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff.
0: And here we are, emergency pod the day after, the morning after. The divided Republican Party, as the pundits are saying, newsflash. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump, Scott, by the way, Courtney Yop Norris is here. Jerry Crawford is here. I'm Joe Arnold, your roundtable host. Scott Jennings was mm-hmm. on CNN again last night with the the A list panel down in our uh, in, up in New York and analyzing this. So, Scott, depends on whom you ask, is the GOP primary over? Well, if you ask actual registered Republicans, it is. Um, I mean, that's the
2: thing that that sort of became clear last night early on for me, is that while Trump won with about 54.5% uh, over Haley's 43.5% or so, they're still counting a few votes this morning. Um, if you look who voted and how they voted, it was it's obvious what Republicans want to do. You know, New Hampshire's unique. It's semi-open. They have all these undeclared voters. Sometimes they're called independents. I'm not sure if they're really independent or not. Some of them are behavioral Democrats. Some of them are behavioral Republicans. But but anyway, a lot of these people came into the primary on the Republican side because they hate Donald Trump. And so they, they boosted Nikki Haley. But among self-identified Republicans, Trump won 74% of them. So just to be clear, it's Republicans who will decide who the Republican nominee is, not unregistered Republicans or non-Republicans. And although it looks like an 11-point win for Trump, to me, it's much larger because, once again, in a second state, actual Republican voters, base Republican voters have said, this is who we want. And we can debate the relative merits of that <laughs> judgment, but, but uh, that, that, to me, was my big takeaway – that Trump's strength among Republicans is not getting smaller; it's growing. Uh, but he obviously has real limitations among these independent voters uh, who uh, who did turn out to send a message that that they don't they don't like him. I mean, Haley won the independents, Jared and Courtney fairly substantially um, among the unde among the uh, undeclared voters. She won sixty six to twenty two. I'm sorry, sixty six to thirty two. And among the actual Republicans, Trump won 74 to 24. So this this primary is almost like there were two different primaries. There are two different elections going on. And you can see where Trump is strong and where he's weak, Jared.
3: Yeah, I also thought Haley did a good job of not moving the goalposts, but like kind of blurring the goalposts going into this. It was almost like anything was going to be a win for her. <laughs> there had there was polls in which she was like down 20 points. There was polls in which she was almost winning, And so it was like, as long as she sort of stays in the race, it felt like she could spin it any way. At the end of the day, it was sort of like a weird uh, sense going into it. Seems like she's still confident in where she was and how she performed. Um, But I think you're right, Scott. It's clear where Republicans want to go.
2: Well, your, your commentary about Haley is right on. Back in late December, her top surrogate in the state, the governor, Chris Sununu, was saying she was going to win New Hampshire in a landslide. Yeah. Then, as the days grew short, (laughs) they downgraded it to, well, uh, she just needs to come in a strong second. Well, there were only two candidates competing for it by the time the whole thing rolled around. So by definition, she was at least going to come in second. Her speech last night, uh, which she gave early, by the way, we were on set debating... Courtney, who would come out first and who should speak first, she came right out. Uh, and based on something I read from uh, David Drucker at the dispatch this morning, apparently they had a plan to go out early and to give a speech that would irritate Trump and try to bait him into giving, you know, sort of a uh, an irritable rant, which he then, of course, did.
1: I'll say he took that bait uh, hook, line and sinker because he, sure he doesn't did. need he doesn't need a big piece of bait, though, to do that.
2: Yeah, uh, He was more gracious after Iowa. You know, he he didn't really go after anybody. But last night, I mean, the, I mean, I know we're going to listen to some of Haley here in a second. But but she if if, if their goal was to make Donald Trump give a, you know, <laughs> an unfocused uh, rant uh, against uh, against his enemies. But it wasn't just his speech either. I mean, he was on True Social going off on people. Heck, he even called uh, Kaylee McEnany over on Fox News, who was his press secretary, a rhino. He went after her because I guess maybe she said something he didn't like on TV. It it really was, you know, thinking about
0: beating Joe Biden was the last thing on his mind last night. Nikki Haley may not be able to win the New Hampshire primary, but she offered a master class on how to get under Donald Trump's skin. When we come back here, let's listen to Nikki Haley. And then Courtney, I'll get your reaction here.
4: Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves saying this race is over. It's not now, well, I have news for all of them New Hampshire is first in the nation, it is not the last in the nation. Woo! This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. At one point in this campaign, there were 14 of us running. And we were at 2% in the polls. Well, I'm a fighter. And I'm scrappy. And now we're the last one standing next to Donald Trump. And today we got close to half of the vote. We still have a ways to go, but we keep moving up.
0: According to Nikki Haley. What do you all think?
4: Right,
1: the likelihood of her to stay in this race through the end of February is <laughs> it's it's not looking good. What do you all think about I saw someone with the Haley campaign and they were trying to say that the electorate in New Hampshire was more similar to South Carolina than people thought.
2: No. <laughs> Oh, is that most, no. the most
1: ridiculous comment that I could that I can ever that you have ever no. heard?
2: It, it is true that South Carolina has a quote unquote open primary. But the idea that Democrats are going to turn out and vote. Remember, being governor of South Carolina for her is a two edged sword. I mean, they know her. The Republicans know her, of course. But so do the Democrats and they don't like her. And so I th- look, this was the most fertile ground she was ever going to get. And, you know, the Republican Party in New Hampshire is probably more moderate than most state Republican parties. They're not moderate in South Carolina, <laughs> and, and they're going to love Donald Trump even more. I mean, that's some somebody last night said, oh, Nikki Haley, she's in it to win it. And I said, no, she's in it to spin it <laughs> mm-hmm. is what is what we're doing right now, because the, the ground does not get any more fertile. In fact, it gets a lot more acidic in rocky as she moves ahead particularly in south carolina it's by the way it's a month it's like february 24th yeah she's not really competing for the delegates in in nevada so i don't you know i'm not i'm just not sure how what the next month is going to look like for her truthfully and you're going to have an avalanche of republican officials coming out endorsing trump um no argument she has made so far has uh made a difference? And I i mean, what evidence do we have that the arguments that she made in New Hampshire and Iowa would have any more impact on Republicans in South Carolina than they did in those two states?
1: Well, I saw a poll where people who voted for Haley, 80 percent said that they were doing it to because they didn't like the other choice. But when you came to the Trump voters, it was like 80 to 90 percent were voting for him because they liked him. Yeah. And I think that speaks volumes.
2: It's a committed base and uh, it's it's played out in two states right now. Also, you know, regarding uh, the shifting sands of her expectations game, I mean, remember, you know, she was saying in speeches before all the voting started that Iowa starts it and New Hampshire corrects it. That was her words. Well, New Hampshire didn't correct anything last night. In fact, they confirmed (laughs) what the Iowa people did. And by the way, no person who's ever won New Hampshire and Iowa both has not been a party nominee. I mean, it would be historically uh, unprecedented
0: for that to be upended at this point. Well, it was her chance to have a speech in front of a a raucous like post-primary crowd after Ron DeSantis dropped out. So in some ways, this was sort of like the delayed reaction to the fact that it truly is a two-person race in her mind. Uh, I, I don't disagree what you're what you're saying, Scott, is that, you know, take out the names and, and the emotions and any other, you know, just fair analysis of, you know, sort of like in baseball. Sometimes we look at the stat lines and then try to guess who the player is. If if this, in fact, was this a stat line on both of them, this that you would most people would say this this race is over, Uh, you know, as of as of last night, if not before then the uh, I guess the question is. Well, there's a lot of questions here. One thing about Nikki Haley, I would say, is that when she launched her campaign, it seemed to have more of an agenda about what she wants to do for America. And what I was just reminded about last night is that Donald Trump, and this is not a news flash, but bear with me, is such – it is he is the dominant force in American politics now for going on, in some ways – you know, at least eight years, if not 12. I mean, he he is uh, all every race is about. And I mean, that's what and that's what she's putting all of her cards in the middle, our whole chips in the middle of the table to say it's all about we need to stop because no, people don't want Trump versus Biden. But Trump says, I mean, no, it's all about me. Yeah, she, she sounds very much like uh,
2: a never Trump candidate or a resistance type candidate or even one of these people who, you know, kind of the no labels, you know, this idea of a third party. Uh, her message, to, I think you're right, Joe, her message has basically become the message of that crowd. Now, that that was designed to bring out these undeclareds in New Hampshire. But you're not really talking to them in South Carolina. You're talking to registered Republicans, actual Republicans. And it, it it's just not going to work. You know, I, I did see it. I don't think it was CNN, but um, my, it was one of the other network exit polls this electability argument, you know, even the people who who said electability was their most important thing, I think Trump won them. Mm -hmm. So even the core of what you were just describing was ultimately Trump is chaos and therefore unelectable that that didn't work. (laughs) And so I I don't I just I'm not sure outside of some external intervention that she cannot control what what in the world would would change the minds of people, Jared, uh, over the next month
3: yeah no that's it still confounds me and i and i don't know exactly i look at this and think trump is the candidate least least likely to beat biden and the republican voters think he's most likely to beat biden or there's somewhere in which they've made the calculation that it doesn't matter anymore it's i'm i still think there's a lot to be figured out there and so it's it's a lot of that is still strange to me because Nikki Haley's only argument coming out of this is, look, I appeal to moderates and independents and unaffiliated people and whatever. That will allow me to beat Biden. And yet the, the voters don't seem to make that connection or it's just so much about Trump that, that I, it's still kind of confusing to me, some of this uh, in terms of we you know where the party is making that calculation. But whatever it is, Trump is on the right side of it <laughs> at the end of the day. So I, again, I, I don't, I don't see where, what her, what her selling point is. Anymore. She doesn't
1: have one. I feel like she's one of those candidates where she was, she's good on paper. Um, she was pretty good the first time I watched her speak, but the more she talks, I, I don't think people are buying what she's selling. You know, they don't have a reason to vote for her. And I think that's the number one issue.
2: So one of nope. the exit polls, Joe, that uh, so they so while you're sitting out there on the set, they come around and they hand you the, the exit poll. I kept them all. But the one that that jumped out at me, uh, a, apart from the, the actual Republican split that I, I talked about earlier, was the same one that jumped out at me after Iowa. And it's this cohort of voters who say that if Trump is convicted of a crime, he would not be fit for the presidency. So among Republicans, um, 25% said if he's convicted of a crime, he would not be fit for the presidency. I think our number in Iowa was 31%. So most people focus on the top line. Wow, 73% say he'd be fit if he were a criminal. But the bottom number is the, is the more salient issue, because if a quarter of your own party thinks you're not fit for the presidency, now maybe they don't think Biden is fit either. But you're going to lose some of those people, and it it just it reminds me that for all of the ads and the speeches and the arguments and the and the back and forth, what happens in that courtroom in Washington D.C. on this January sixth case may be more determinative and definitive than any political tactic that's employed by any of these campaigns. I mean, if he is convicted now, when is the trial going to happen? I don't know. It's supposed to start March fourth. That's not that's not happening, obviously uh and if and what if he's acquitted? You know, do you get the opposite impact of of being rocket fuel for his campaign to to take a victory lap on an acquittal? So but that again jumped off the page to me that there's there's a significant number of Republicans who, and I suspect they're older by the way, who uh, wouldn't want to associate their franchise with a convicted criminal.
0: Are Democrats better historically at even though the, 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 the fractiousness during primaries and and interparty, you know, divisions and, and rivals, rivalries, are they better at coming together at the end and galvanizing in a general? And are Republicans maybe less experienced in getting over bruised feelings or misgivings about the eventual nominee? How does that compare? Do you know? I don't I don't know. Uh, I, I don't really know how to.
2: I don't know. I mean, look at the most recent examples. I mean, the Democrats had a fractured primary in 20 and they saved Joe Biden and he ends up winning the presidency. Republicans had a fractured primary in 16. Uh, and, you know, we know what happened then. Uh 08 was a very fractured primary for the Democrats, obviously. Huge split. They end up winning the presidency there. I don't I don't know. I mean, I. I will say this, you know, on our panels last night, Van Jones, my colleague, was sounding the alarms about the fracturing going on inside the Democrat coalition right now. And one of the points he was making is the 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 Democrat National Committee has rigged the primaries here for Biden to the point where people can't even go out and express themselves. And so I, I gathered what his argument was, was that you're not you're not letting these people register their views. About the direction of the party and the issues and so on and so forth, and he thought that was going to be a, a lingering problem for Biden. So that would be the opposite of what you're saying. Was would be Joe that the the lack of a primary doesn't let people work out their feelings and express their views, and so they harbor those hard feelings
0: for the rest of the year. That it seemed to be what Van was saying. If I'm a Republican strategist in this race, it's interesting. This, I'm mean, of course I'm an American, but but I'm I'm thinking about the this whole concept of. How young people are abandoning Joe Biden because of his support for Israel. So, as a political matter, I guess that's good news for Trump that there would be enough of a weakening of of the of the you know the the younger Democrat base or younger Democrat cohort. But as an American, it's just discouraging that that so many young people apparently would be uh, all all in on Gaza. You know, I, I just I I don't know. It's it's sort of a bifurcated feeling I have right now. Before I um, let's let's go right let's go to Trump because we know that Nikki Haley succeeded. Actually, from the very very beginning of her speech, it gave the uh, impression that she succeeded at, succeeded at everything. But uh, <laughs> but she especially succeeded at getting under Trump's skin. And as and as all of you are suggesting, if that was her intent, you can hear from Donald Trump's response. She certainly did succeed.
5: Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now. Three. three. So we win it every time. We win the primary. We win the generals. We've won it, and it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember, in 2016, we came here, and we needed that winner. We won by 21 points, and it was great. And uh, today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage, all dressed up nicely when it was at seven. But now I just walked up, and it's at 14. But but she ran up when it was seven. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up, and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know, last last week, we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, Didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winnability, who's going to win, and I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against Crooked Joe Biden. Almost every poll. And she doesn't win those polls. And she doesn't win those. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's not have somebody take a victory when she had a very bad night. She had a very bad night. And you. uh...
0: (laughs) Well, Scott, he was right. this,
2: This is not a typical victory speech. Well, I mean, he he had just I mean, think about what happened. He had just effectively won the Republican nomination for president. Yeah. And he was up there talking about Nikki Haley's dress. Yes. I, I mean, mean that I mean, think about it. If I if I told any of the three of you I'm you have just won the nomination for president of the United States of your party, what would you go out there and do?
1: Definitely and, talk about the attire of someone else. That's <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean it it and so you know if if the if the design was to get under his skin they did it um and and I I don't know I mean th- this this is obviously the ongoing limitations of his candidacy but it's also it's also what some of his people want to hear I mean they want to hear him blast these pump these people into the sun and and so it it is it is the duality of of, of Trump, on the one hand, this command of a political party, and on the other hand, sometimes failure to see beyond the, you know, beyond the next five minutes here and I have a little impulse control. Uh, and now there's a month I you know, I don't know what speeches he's going to be given for the next month, but that was a good chance for him to, like, just say this is over and this and here's my vision for America and why Joe Biden's going down the toilet and I don't know. He just kind of kind of he just didn't do it. I I don't know. I wonder what it what his aides had advised him to do. And I wonder what they had agreed he would do. And if he just sort of went out there and did his own thing, maybe we'll find out. I think
1: any of us would advise a candidate to go out there and start treating this like it's a general election. Like you just won. Start treating like it's a general election. It's you versus Biden. Forget about whoever else is talking. And that's not he's still not doing that.
2: The, the the part of the victory speech to me that was so fascinating was him turning around to Tim Scott, who's standing right over his shoulder and saying, "Boy, you must really hate her to endorse me." <laughs> and him running up to yeah. the microphone and saying, "No, no, I just love you." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean that that whole scene was was something else. But I, it did remind me of something that is true, Trump. And his campaign systematically got people to, you know, in her remarks last night, she was like, I outsmarted all these people and I got them out of the race. No, you didn't get them out of the race. Trump got them out of the race. And not only did he do that, but he systematically drew them in and got all their endorsements. And so, you know, he had this whole cadre of people from Tim Scott to Doug Burgum to the irritating Ramaswamy to... You name it up there, even DeSantis, who wasn't there, but it obviously put out a video endorsing him. The one person who was supposed to endorse Chris uh, uh, Haley before the New Hampshire prime was Chris Christie, and he knifed her on the way out the door. I mean, it it, it. it is a political failure, right? I mean, if you're Trump and you're getting all these people out of the race, it's a political victory to draw them into your campaign. And for Haley, it's a political failure. She couldn't attract Christie. She couldn't attract DeSantis. And that that might have given her a little boost, you know, going into Election Day.
3: Yeah, the the great irony there, too, is if just even probably just DeSantis and Ramaswamy are still in, there's maybe a chance she actually wins last night. There's a chance that those two pull just enough from Trump that she could have eked out a win. And, you know, she wanted this two person race and then ends up losing because of it. So. Master class in politics, I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: So as Scott pointed out, he, he called different folks up to the microphone to sort of be his surrogates, uh, like live. It was kind of like a like a drunken wedding reception. It was it was just this odd kind of like <laughs> Toastmaster type. You know, like, hey, come on. So let's hear from the only person more insufferable than uh, than Trump uh, on the stage last night. And that was Vivek Ramaswamy.
2: And the only thing they're rooting for is an ugly thing that we don't want to see happen. That's what these people are rooting for, is playing to say long enough so the Reed Hoffmans and the ugly Democratic George Soros Juniors who are funding the lawsuits against Trump can prop up their puppet. We say no to that vision. I say the general election begins tonight. So Vivek Vivek was on message. Like, Like, he knew... You know, I mean, he, I mean, some of what he said it was su- super inside baseball, but at least he yeah. Was that, like, explain this to me. Who who is Reed Hoffman? He he is a uh, like a mega donor, tech industry type. Jerry, what co- what's his company? Is he the LinkedIn guy?
3: That sounds right. He seems uh, to be
0: elevating someone from you know yeah. the fringes here into something. Is he saying that George Soros, <laughs> Soros supports Nikki Haley? So, he, yeah, he yeah. co-founded LinkedIn. he think he's at a different company now, but yeah, he's, but you know, he's
2: a, he's a San Francisco tech, tech industry billionaire who, who, I mean, that, this has been Vivek's argument. You have all these rich people who are trying to keep her afloat and fuel these wars and so on. I mean, you know, he's, I, <laughs> he's something else.
3: Yeah. Ramaswamy has been kind of tweeting through this this morning. Too. i think the thought is haley stays in long enough to get enough delegates that if trump is indicted or found guilty prior to the convention that she can say look i i have a you know secured a true second place here i stayed in it i've got the donors i've got the whatever i did the work he's indicted we cannot as a party nominate him and that is maybe like kind of a normal person's way of looking at it. the Ramaswamy thing is that there's these leftist puppets behind the string, you know, pulling the strings to make. That I couldn't happen. tell who the puppet
0: was. Was it was the puppet Biden? Or you know, the puppet...
3: name your. Yeah. Name your uh, no, conspiracy. I mean, yeah. his Haley. argument
0: is that
2: Haley is a puppet of these globalists
3: who. Yeah.
2: And leftists who are trying to basically infiltrate and make. You know, destroy the America First Movement. I mean, he, he really last, devolved yeah. into, this, into this conspiracy theory-minded candidate, you know, person. Um, but he did say one true thing, or at least something Trump should have listened to. The general election starts tonight. Like, he—Trump should have heeded that. <laughs> he should have heated that. By the way, he did put Vivek on a one-minute timer. Like, he, yeah. he told him he had one minute. Wait, I, think I think he spoke he for a for minute him 40, him. by the way. Yeah. But Trump, Trump knows the, uh, oh yeah, the perils of um, handing Vivek Ramaswamy a
0: microphone. It just yeah, this is this a virtue? Just to just you know uh, the whole concept, Scott. Like we said before, about you, you you've just won the nomination and then you delegate someone else to speak for you. What 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 is that?
2: I think he wanted to put people up there who would just wail on Nikki Haley. <laughs> I mean, I think that was the issue. Like he he was so angry with her, he's like, let's bring up people who just kick the crap out of her.
0: I mean, I think. I think that's what he wanted to do. And, and and back to her for a moment and then we'll get to the to the, the an ad that she premiered uh, overnight uh, her campaign did. But it seems to me that everything that we're talking about here and she certainly has gone from having like an America vision to just an anti-Trump vision as far as her rhetoric, you know, uh and her main argument. But if that's the case and if she truly believes that she that, that and and to, if, if Vivek is correct and that's the 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 whole uh, construct is that she's going to be the last person standing. So when Trump can't because if Trump's in a prison cell, then, you know, then somebody else needs to be the president from the Republican Party. Then um, then why doesn't she doesn't I don't know if she's gone all in on that. It seems like she's still kind of holding back a little and would ultimately endorse him if, in fact, he is the nominee and he's not in prison. Well, she has said she would vote for him. She has said she would pardon him. Her top surrogate, Chris Sinunu, has said he would vote for him. So, so at I that mean, point, it's just like so. So, why even continue the charade? I, I, I guess it's it's the whole point of what Vivek is saying, which is like, well, if yeah. he's indicted or if he's if he's sentenced, of course. I don't know how closely you follow this these days. I mean, what is the the the? Let's go to Vivek's uh, narrative here. What is the course of these criminal trials? Is, is there any chance that any of them will end before the election? I mean, the one that's up first is
2: this January 6th trial on March the 4th, which is not going to start that day. Super Tuesday is March the 5th. The Supreme Court's looking at some issues around the January 6th case. So, you know, this thing could get punted to April, May. But the, the problem is, the later you go in the year, the closer you get to the election, the more likely it is. I would think a judge would say, I'm not going to have a trial. After the conventions, you know, we're not going to have a trial while the presidency is being decided right now, and so there's like a window here, March to June, where this trial could happen. If it doesn't happen, it may not, and so it's not quite clear. That to me is the one that is the most likely to go to trial and the most likely to yield a conviction if one is is to be had. The Georgia case, I mean, Fonnie Willis in Atlanta has fallen apart uh, in the middle of a, of a scandal down there which, you know, is it just calls into question, you know, who who are these local prosecutors and what are they doing and why are they doing it? And then the documents case is so complicated. I think most people think it's not possibly going to trial before November. So it really leaves you with the stuff going on in New York, which nobody cares about, really. And then this January 6th case in D.C., that's if, if you if you're somebody who wants to see uh what happens to donald trump as it relates to him being a criminal or not that to me is the that's the one
0: that's it that is the the most likely place where you're going to get a decision on that it's the the, the world in which we live they, let's go to nikki haley's uh, closing not her closing argument but the her opening argument for the rest of the campaign going into south carolina an ad which came out overnight
2: biden too old trump too much chaos a rematch no one wants There's a better choice for a better America. Her story started right here. America's youngest governor,
0: a conservative Republican. And boy, did she deliver.
2: It's
4: a great day in South
0: Carolina. Nikki Haley will cut taxes, close the border, and
2: defeat the Chinese communist threat. America's new chapter, Strong and Proud. I'm
4: Nikki Haley, and I approve this message.
2: You know, one thing about about this ad, and I'm going to say this about all ads. Is for Haley, obviously the Republicans are voting for Trump and they like Trump. But some of these ads presume that they're that they are persuadable or that they are, you know, that they may be considering changing their mind. I just don't think that's true. I mean, if you have decided at this point to vote for Trump and you want Trump to be the nominee, is a TV ad, Courtney, going to change your mind? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know that that person exists within the Republican primary voting pool.
1: I almost think at this point, uh, when people are looking at voting, it's they, they have come to the conclusion that it's either Trump or Biden. They don't even consider her as a serious candidate. If you're a Republican, um, and the only reason that maybe she. Got any votes in New Hampshire was because people kind of thought I don't have anything else to lose. You know, the very few Republicans. I, I just I, you're not you're not changing your mind at, the, at this point. You have your mind made up, one hundred percent. Like you're not you're not going to be peeled off to go vote for Nikki Haley or anybody else.
2: I mean, that seems. If you look at the that, exit polls, by the way. That like if you look at who's voting for Trump and who's voting for Haley, I think you mentioned this, Courtney. <laughs> Trump's voters are voting for Trump. Like they're. You know, it is a is a dedicated share, and so like I don't know. I mean, she she's I think I think I read last night the super PAC supporting her have spent over a hundred million on her campaign. I mean, it it and so money may exist. You were asking about this earlier, Joe. Money may exist to fuel ads and stuff. I just don't know who who are you talking to. What is the what is the persuadable audience of people? And I guess I guess she would probably say. Well, I'm, I need to get uh, Republicans, but people who don't normally vote in primaries, or folks who are, you know, softer partisans and they don't love the party politics, but they always vote in generals. I need them to vote in the primary, and maybe they will because they liked me as governor. But boy, at that point, you're depending on low propensity primary voters. It's a long, long shot, you know.
1: I'm also going go well, to go back to campaign 101 that she has had a very messy message the entire time she's been a candidate she has not had a consistent message to voters to republicans in general she's been wishy-washy on supporting trump she's been a little wishy-washy on what her messaging is and if she had had this messaging at the beginning i think maybe it would be okay but it hasn't been her message since the beginning um and it, it's not it's not good she's not in a good place
3: scott but i think she that- has the
1: money so i mean might as well keep right. running right
3: the soros uh, money the-
2: well, you know, Stop. you actually, Courtney, you, you raise a good question. If you have the money, why not? Well, I'll tell you why not. I'll give you one good reason. Because <laughs> nobody wants to take a beating in their own backyard. I mean, yeah. that that ultimately, in one month, she's going to face the voters of her own home state. And, you know, I, I don't know. Do you I mean, think Trump comes
1: out with a vice presidential candidate before the know, South Carolina primary? Or do you think he just waits because he doesn't need to?
2: Good question. I don't. Some people are urging him to do it early, like Hugh Hewitt. He's been he's been on that bandwagon. I don't necessarily know what the benefit of it is. Uh, so I don't I don't know. Good question. Um, I don't think he needs to to beat her. I mean, it's not like it's a tactical necessity to yeah. defeat her. So I don't know. What do you guys think? And by and who and, and so here's my poll for you all. Who's who in your mind are the top three contenders for this right now? Tim Scott. Tim Scott. yeah, yeah. yeah. Friend, of mm-hmm.
1: Friend of the pod.
2: Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, Tim Scott.
1: I think Elise. Vivek is Elise. too close. Like, I, I don't think he chooses Vivek. I think he's too much of a...
0: Camera hog. Yeah, yeah, I don't
1: think he likes... I think he likes him to be a surrogate. I don't think he'd like him that close to, to home.
2: Yeah, Elise Stefanik definitely making a play.
1: Mm-hmm. Sarah
2: Huckabee Sanders I still think is... I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at this. I, I, I think the vector of the Trump campaign on African-American men, I mean, you see it in the polling. I mean, they're soft on Biden. And the idea of plowing some new ground for the Republican Party on that voter cohort might be just enough to to think about, well, Tim Scott is going to give us the best chance to to carve some new territory there. But I don't know. He comes from the before times. I mean, that's the other thing about this job that I think Trump, you know, he got he picked somebody from the before times before and they burned him in his mind. And so now does he feel like he's just got to pick somebody who is solely a creature
0: of the of the Trump era? Well, I guess the question boils down to the the, the crucial one is that, you know, who are the Republicans that he needs to convince? I mean, his base is with him regardless. Right. I mean, he doesn't need to be any more Trumpy to be able to get them fired up you know he is who he is and that and they're going to be with him regardless to me there's a there, there's a need for a coalescing to me there's a need to for instance what he did after iowa after iowa he sounded for about 5 minutes like a normal person and and he like a normal candidate and he came out and was, and, and was like oh, okay that sounds like Maybe he's maybe he's going to be somewhat disciplined, (laughs) Fat chance. But but as it turns out, but that said, I mean, it seems to me that 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 would be the the direction, because if you you, as you pointed out, Scott, there is a a sizable portion of the Republican electorate. You you keep saying, well, Republicans want Trump, but there's a big portion of them that don't. So what what does he have to do to get them on board enough so in an electoral college situation he can get over the edge? Well, Tim Scott is a universally liked Republican. I mean, that's an absolute
2: fact. Ramaswamy is not. And that's the one thing about Ramaswamy is he he just irritates so many people. And it's just an irritating, grating presence. I don't think older voters like him. I'll tell you, older voters to me, I think they went away from Trump a bit in 20 because they thought he didn't care as much about their health as he should as the president. Ramaswamy was particularly irritating for voters over the age of 45. It was in all the the data, so I think it's pretty dangerous actually to go down that road. Uh, I think I think older voters love Tim Scott, and uh, uh, and I and so if you're if you're looking for other sort of vectors here about who makes sense and and trying to pull in people like you just
0: mentioned, Joe, I think, I mean, you can make a lot of great arguments for him, a lot of great arguments. Mm-hmm. But what is the? I, I guess I mean, if you're there's there's Trump and then there's his talented uh, campaign apparatus. What are they saying to this morning? do You think internally? Well, my guess is there's there's
2: you know planning going on for two things. One is Haley is a crazy person and sticks this out, and so we got to actually run the campaign in South Carolina. And the other planning vector is, well, what if in 48 hours she drops out? You know, and, and then it, it truly is over. And what can we, what do we need to do at that point? So I think, I you know, I think they're probably looking at both scenarios today and, and, and trying to be prepared for either. I mean, we do now have a lull. You know, we had this beehive of activity between in the run-up to Iowa and then immediately heading for New Hampshire. Now Nevada's next, uh, and then South Carolina's in a month. So... You do now have a lull in the calendar uh, and, and a strategic question for the campaign is how do you fill it? You know, what do you what do you do with your time? And uh, some of that will be dependent upon whether Haley actually makes a go of it in South Carolina or not. i tell you one thing we've learned, though. Uh, spending time in an individual place, at least for Trump, is less important than just being in the national press, in the national media. I mean, Haley and DeSantis ran all over those two states, and Trump really didn't. You know, he came in, did his rallies, he did his thing, but spent way less time, and it didn't hurt him one bit. Uh, And I I haven't heard any voters telling any of our reporters or anything saying, well, I was going to vote for Trump, but he didn't didn't spend 100 days here, so I withdrew my vote. I'm not hearing people say that. So the idea that he would have to go to South Carolina and ride around in a bus seems unlikely to me.
1: I think people forget he's an incumbent president. Technically, he's the incumbent. He doesn't really need to.
3: Scott, just quickly, I wondered, do, do you buy into the thought that Biden is so weak, the left is really enjoying Haley staying in and beating up Trump and forcing him to spend money and, you know, forcing him to get off message and things like that, that that is weakening him a little bit. Do you, do you buy into that, that that's going to matter come general election time? Or are these guys so set in stone that whether Trump has to spend in South Carolina, it, it might not matter?
2: I don't I don't personally think it matters. I mean, what I hear from the Democrats that I have to do these uh, TV shows with is that they're anxious for the general election to start right now. I mean they want Trump. Yeah. They've made which by the way I I just I said this late last night to Kate Bedingfield who uh, I really like a lot actually from the Biden apparatus and she's one of our colleagues now but I do find it curious that Joe Biden every day talks about how much of a threat to democracy Donald Trump is and how much he really wants Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee so he can be on the ballot. I mean it's like I find these If you really believe he were a threat to democracy, you would not want him to be the nominee of a party. You wouldn't (laughs) want him to be on a ballot. You know, you would not want that. Uh, But no, I think, Jared, they they want this general election to start. They, They think the sooner they can get the spotlight on Trump, they think they believe there is a cohort of Democrats who are not paying attention to this race and who don't even believe that it's possible for Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee. Once that sort of formally happens, once, come once they like, realize that that is this is actually the reality in which they live, they will come flocking back yeah. to Joe Biden. So their yeah. desperation to get to the general is, is yeah. rooted in that. So I, I think that's what they actually want.
0: So basically what that what that is, is that that's a salve to it's, it's like a it's a magic potion. So people forget the last four years. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. it, it, yeah. it, it, it kind of wipes away the Biden presidency as as anything. The, our, Afghanistan, inflation, just uh, a, a crisis at the border. <laughs> Everything which he has bungled is completely wiped away because it boils down to what his motivating success was in 2020, which was that I'm not Donald Trump.
2: They, they want a referendum on abortion and democracy and what Trump did to hinder both. And at the same time, they pray that the economic indicators continue to get better over the course of this year, and that by November, people actually notice and tell pollsters, yeah, actually, you know what? I I do feel better about my economic situation. I'm not sure there's anything Biden can say about it to make it so. It just has to happen. Uh, so it's really a two-pronged attack for them. Referendum on Trump on abortion and democracy and hope and pray that those those economic numbers get to a place by October that gives people enough confidence to stick with the incumbent. Um I mean look if the economy is good in October and people are telling pollsters that it's it's good, it's going to be hard to defeat an incumbent president. If Donald Trump is convicted of a crime, it will be hard for him to win because of the republicans who will abandon him. However, the flip is also true. If people have economic anxiety in October and Trump's not been convicted or even acquitted could be a rough ride. I mean, but the, but these things are external to campaign tactics, you know, in some ways. So, uh, I mean, we spend a lot of money and time on these races and, you know, every cycle
0: reminds us that so much of what determines the outcome is, is somewhat out of your hands. Scott, before I wrap it up, I have a question for you just in terms of it was mentioned just in passing on CNN last night in terms of the other, races that are going to be on the ballot this fall. What are the other what are the campaigns for the Senate and its congressional uh, races? What are they? I mean, it it seems to me that a lot is this presidential contest is going to have an outsized impact on how those races go. How are they tracking this?
2: Well, on the Senate side, it's quite clear. I mean, Republicans don't really have an endangered incumbent. Democrats have several. And they're endangered incumbents in states that Trump is highly likely to carry. Uh, Obviously, Joe Manchin's retirement in West Virginia, that's gone. So the Senate is effectively 50 to 50 right now uh, with West Virginia off the board, which means Democrats have to hold every one of the following states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Montana. And, And they have to hold the vice presidency to maintain control of the Senate. So, if you're a Senate Republican strategist, you got to be looking at this thinking, my God, we got to, surely we can win one of these. Because all they have to do is win one thing the White House or any of those states I mentioned, and they'll have the majority. So, the, the pressure really is on the Democrats. I mean, you, I mean, listen to that map I just laid out. I mean, Trump's going to win Ohio easily, Trump's going to win Montana by 20, 30 points. You know, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania are all swing states. Arizona is a swing state, but you, you figure between Ohio and Montana, to me, those are the top two options. Trump's going to roll in both of those places. And uh, now look, incumbents are hard to beat. They'll have money. I'm not arguing that these are foregone conclusions, but, but the pressure is on Dems here uh, to, to hold the line and and they got a lot of line to hold. Oh, I, I didn't mention the house. I, I don't know. It's such. It's so close. I mean, we'll have to see which way the winds blowing the presidential race. I'm not. I, I. don't know. I. I. I mean, there's a world where Trump wins the White House, Democrats win the House, Republicans win the Senate. I mean, there you can see a world where sort of government gets divided again, but but the the
0: players get swapped out. You know, who, who's in control of which chamber and which building. So as Courtney said before, I guess the the waiting game right now is the next. Like the Santas, you know, came out of. Iowa punching his ticket to New Hampshire, but ends up that the, he only got as far as like maybe I don't know Chicago, uh, you know on on that train. The uh, is, is the next forty eight hours kind of like the the wait and see game on if if despite Nikki Haley's speech that she might have to decide otherwise. Is that does and that does that boil down as Vivek said to the donors? Yeah, I, I don't think she's under as much of a t-
2: <clears throat> a time pressure as DeSantis was. You know, obviously New Hampshire was coming right up. We have a month until South Carolina, so she has time. But, but sure, I mean, you have have to talk to the people who are financing your efforts to see if they want to keep doing this or not. They're claiming today, excuse me, they're claiming today that they have money and they've got financiers and they're going to keep going. Uh, But my suspicion is a lot of a lot of calls and soul searching is going on, and uh, you know she she has time to to make the decision. We're, We're under no pressure. I mean, that's the other thing about the. This race, I mean, we've all gotten hyped up over the last couple of weeks. Now we're going to have a real lull. And, uh, and you know, will, will the American people continue to pay attention to this race, or are they going to go back to their lives <laughs> for the next month and until the candidates uh, pop out of
0: their hole again in South Carolina? That's Scott Jennings, Jared Crawford, Courtney Yap-Norris. I'm Joe Arnold with our instant reaction to the New Hampshire primary with Flyover Country with Scott Jennings.
2: Fly Over Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Fly Over Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast.